All right. Hello and welcome back to Real Seekers. Uh, hang on one second. I'll just take off the overlay. Uh, I'm your host, Dale, the Real Seeker. And uh, today I have uh, a real special treat for you guys. I'm, I'm joined by a guest, uh, Dr. Cy Gart. Hey there, Cy. Hey, glad to be here. Awesome. Great to great to have you on board. Uh, you, you came recommended to us and, um, you know, I was thrilled to, to hear that you'd actually uh, listened to a show uh, in the past before. So mm -hmm. we're in good company today. So, um, yeah, well, obviously today we're going to be kind of talking about your area of expertise. You're a biochemist and we're going to be looking, learning about your journey from atheism uh, through to becoming a Christian and that sort of thing. But just before we get into the topic, um, I always do this with my guests when it's their first time on the show. I want to turn it to you to kind of introduce the audience as to who you are, a bit about your background and uh, maybe a brief kind of synopsis of your faith journey and, and stuff like that. Okay, thank you. Um, my faith journey is hard to talk about briefly, but I'll try. <laughs> okay. Uh, it, it started out, I, I mean, I started out as very, very far from being a Christian. Um, and I, I think it's somewhat of a miracle that I'm here <laughs> today as a Christian. Mm -hmm. My uh, family for three generations were atheists and communists. Uh, my parents were members of the American Communist Party. Uh, atheism was part of what I learned. Uh, and I don't mean the the kind of atheism that is, well, we don't know if God exists. Uh, I don't, we don't have enough evidence to, no, my atheism was there is no God, there cannot be. Uh, such a thing is ridiculous and impossible and actually evil. So that that's the kind of atheism I grew up with. Um, and it went along with a lot of philosophical uh, accompaniments, such as a, a strong belief in reductionism, naturalism, uh, philosophical materialism. All of that was was part of what I believed. And um, I became a scientist. My father had uh, had been a was a scientist, uh, a chemist, and I also went into science. I, I certainly felt without any question that science was the only way to find any kind of truth about anything. Uh, strong believer in scientism. Uh, but then I had a series of shocks when I started studying science. Uh, those shocks were that what I was actually learning, uh, the first, of, first in, in physical chemistry, uh, Schrodinger equation and things I was learning as a chemistry major, and then even worse, when I became uh, a graduate student in biochemistry and, and began learning about biology, the chemistry of life, there were a lot of shocks that kind of rocked my strong faith in the idea of scientism and the idea that everything can be reduced to very simple, well, to very clear laws of physics and chemistry. There seemed to be something missing there. And that came from a number of things. And I do talk about it in my book, which uh, is called The Works of His Hands, and I think it's linked here, so you can take a look at that. Yeah. Um, but very briefly, there were things in science that kind of counteracted this, this, my fundamental notions of reality, including things in quantum theory and fractals and all kinds of uh, purely scientific uh issues that just didn't jive with that kind of reductionist materialism. And um, 
it got even, it was even worse when I began learning the details of biochemistry and molecular biology. And unfortunately, many of those details are just simply not accessible to the public. Uh, you really need a graduate education to, to understand the, all the details and, and, and the fine tuning that goes on in life. And, uh, before I, I came to Christ, I certainly accepted evolution and I still do, uh, but I now see that evolution is not a theory of everything. It explains an awful lot about biology and the diversity of life, but it, it, there's some, again, there's something missing. There's some aspects of life that evolution does not and cannot explain. And that includes among, and, and this one, everyone agrees with, even atheists, uh, the origin of life uh, is, has to, if, if it has a naturalist explanation, and I, I may talk about that later in more detail, uh, but that turns out it, it scientifically can cannot be the answer for how life developed, at least the biological theory of evolution that we know. Maybe there's some other kind of evolution, but it's, it's a huge mystery right now. And um, I'll talk more about that probably later. But in terms of my journey, what all of that information about science did was it, it rocked, as I said, it rocked and knocked down to a large extent my original philosophical views and theological views. And I began to think that, you know, maybe there is something to this idea of mystery and spirituality and things that are not easily explained by science. And uh, when I got to that, I had to admit that maybe I'm really more of an agnostic than an atheist. And, and that happened, I, I would say, in my 30s um, when I was had become a professional scientist. And, and then I stopped thinking about it because, you know, the thirties are all about making a career. Right. And, and that's what I was trying to do when I was working really hard and on science. And I didn't think about philosophy or religion very much, gotcha. but the Holy ghost was not giving up on me. <laughs> um, I don't think the Holy ghost gives up on anybody. Uh, and, and if you're really blessed and lucky or whatever, uh, you begin to realize that and you begin to get open to the call of God. And I had not been open at all. <laughs> and I may be, I, I was probably a little bit more open to the point where I, I was able to recognize um, some strange things that were happening, like dreams, which I describe in the book and, and in, in the video that's linked. Um, and then finally, a waking experience, which is not described in that video, but is in the book. But I, I can briefly mention some of those as we go also. But all of those experiences and, and several others, which are, you know, not as powerful, but they happened, um, brought me, especially the last one, the waking experience, uh, by the time that was over, and that was a, a, a real visit from the Holy Spirit into my soul. And when that was over, I all my remaining resistance was gone, and I uh, I said out loud, I was alone in a car, and I said out loud, I believe, and everything changed. The world the world just turned around. 
and I've heard this and I've read this from other people as well who have had similar experiences where when it ha it's it's like the miracles of Jesus. They they don't take time. They happen like that. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean the wa the water turned to wine. It didn't slowly ferment. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a drawn out process for sure. Yeah, it's not a drawn out process. And and as soon as I said I believe and I meant it, the, it was it was a new world. You know, the light rose. I, I mean, it was amazing and. And that was, oh, well over a decade ago. It was probably more like uh, 15 years ago. I, I don't remember exactly right now what, what year it was, but it was it was roughly 15 years ago. And since then, you know, mm -hmm. nothing has dampened it. I mean, I've been living and walking in joy and, and salvation ever since. And... Um, and that's my journey. <laughs> awesome. So I, there was a long period where I was agnostic and I didn't, couldn't get to faith. It was, it lasted decades. And, and then when I did get to faith, <clears throat> excuse me, I still, I wasn't sure what to do about it. And it wasn't until 2012, uh, when I was 65 years old, that I actually was baptized and joined and the church. And when you say agnostic, you mean like uh, like agnostic with respect to God or with respect to Christianity in particular? That's a good question. Uh, agnostic with respect to God. Mm -hmm. And I know that some people begin to believe in God and then they seek out which religion. And I kind of did that a little bit while still as an agnostic. I was I was thinking about spirituality. So I even I looked into Buddhism. I looked into Judaism. I looked into uh, New Age stuff, which was all around me. Um, didn't really go for any of it. I still thought, well, maybe God is real, but if it is, if He is, I, I and then and then. Well, what happened? One of the things that happened was uh, I, I a Christian friend of mine brought me to a church. Turned out it was a Catholic church, but you know, I I was amazed at. I'm totally surprised by my, I'd never been inside a church before. By then I was in my forties hmm. and, um, you know, uh, I started thinking, well, maybe, maybe Christianity is something of interest. I'd never thought of exploring Christianity. That had, I had been told that was the worst thing of all. That was the worst religion of all. I mean, it was yeah. responsible for the oppression of the masses, you know, I got all the all the communist propaganda, and uh, I was I was terrified to walk into a church. I, I thought I'd get stoned as I walked in. You know, I, I had no idea, and and it was just the opposite. It was just loving. You know, everybody shook my hand, and not everybody, but people around me shook my hand and wished me peace. And the priest talked about love, and i then i started thinking well maybe i've been lied to maybe you know this is this, yeah. this uh, christianity thing isn't so horrible and you know i i cracked open a bible i read it, some of the gospels and book of acts which really impressed me and um so i started thinking about that and i and but i you know and then i had these i had these dreams which also pointed to jesus uh but i needed a really i needed to get a push and 
the Holy Spirit dragged me over the threshold and I was out of the prison and free. And, awesome. you know, the, all those worship songs about breaking the chains, you know, they, they, they all talk to me. Yeah. Awesome. That, well, that's, that's amazing. That's wonderful. And that sort of thing. And yeah, I'm going to be asking you uh, to get into a little bit more details about a sure. lot of that stuff throughout. Um, one thing I just want to ask you is a quick follow-up. Um, so you kind of mentioned like for you during your atheist phase, that was more a result. You didn't really engage in critical thinking about the no. existence of God and stuff. No. I'm curious because you, you mentioned you, it goes back to the 1930s with your grandparents. Um, do you know, was it purely about the communism and Karl Marx reasoning or what, what was their reason, reasons for being an atheist if you've talked to them about it? Yeah, so my grandfather, uh, who was the this is true for all four of my grandparents, but what uh, my mother's father was the, the grandfather I knew the best, and um, I knew his story, I know his story the best, and he had grown up in Russia, um, mm -hmm. extremely poor. I mean, you know, his stories were all about first time he ever ate, ever ate anything other than a potato was when he was like <laughs> a teenager. <laughs> Oh, and um, <clears throat> he um, he had a religious background. My my grandparents all came from a Russian Jewish background. Mm -hmm. So my grandfather's grandfather was a very religious um, leader. I think he was a rabbi. Mm -hmm. uh, but all four of my grandparents growing up in Russia at the turn of the 20th century had become revolutionaries. Hmm. And so my grandfather was very much a communist. When he got to this country, he um, he, he came to Boston. They, they all came to Boston, um, which is where my original roots are. Uh, and he got to know uh, these names may not be familiar to anyone, but there were very there's very famous radicals named Sacco and Vanzetti. Uh, they were communist anarchists, uh, revolutionaries who were executed um, in in the twenties. And my grandfather knew them. Uh, he was uh, an organizer, as were as were uh, my other one of my other. Uh, my other grandmother was an organizer as well, not his wife, but my other, the other side. So they organized unions. I have, I have great, great uncles and all the people who were in all kinds of organizations, you know, left-wing organizations. I mean, it was left-wing. And for that whole period, part of Marxism, part of being a communist was that the church was among the evil, uh, oppressors and and atheism was absolutely a, a, a central uh, theme of uh, the communist uh, movement mm -hmm. and that was even shown strongly in the Civil War in Spain when one of the biggest victims of the Spanish Civil War on the at the hands of the communists were Catholic priests they were massacred yeah. um, so it was it was part and parcel of that political religious view. Uh, communism and atheism went very strongly together. Now, I, 
I know that there are some examples of Catholic priests in, in Latin America who are very left-wing, maybe close to communist, but that's very rare. And in general, uh, the Communist Party is atheistic everywhere in the world. Yeah, yeah, and especially back then, it was all—it's all linked, right? That's a foundational pillar back going absolutely. back to Karl Marx, right? So. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, religion was seen as as nothing more than oppression. Uh, you know, the the opium of the masses, uh, all that stuff. Some of which you hear today in a slightly different version, but because they're not communists, but you know, some of the radical atheists are saying the same thing about religion. You know? so. Yeah, you can see the parallels and stuff. Oh, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, they're there. All right, cool. So, all right, well, what I want to do at this point, um, let's kind of transition. What was it that kind of changed your mind? Obviously, mm -hmm. you were an atheist, but your expertise is in the field of biology. So, I, I yeah. want to kind of turn it to you to make your take as much time as you want to answer this but what was it about the field of biology and, right. and studying evolution that started to change your mind and uh, i'm separating out the origin of life stuff because that's my next question okay okay good yeah so basically <laughs> there's a very interesting statistic i sometimes use when i speak and that is what is what are the um percentages of the different sciences who are atheists or believers. And it turns out the largest number of believers, and I think it's something like 60 to 70, I'm sorry, something like 30%, because it's 60%, 60, 70% atheist, are physicists. Mm -hmm. The largest number of atheists are biologists, yeah. which is astonishing. But there's a good answer for why that is true, and that is um, the answer that Richard Dawkins has often given, and that is he will say, well, biology is an amazingly complex, which everyone agrees. It has the appearance of design because it's incredible what cells and living organisms can do. And when you know all the biochemical details, it just gets even more and more incredible. But <laughs> it's the appearance of design. And in fact, all of that design that we see in biology, all of those amazing enzymatic reactions and, you know, the genetic code and everything that, that makes biology just, uh, you know, an astonishing thing to, to study, mm -hmm. all of that is easily explained without a creator but through the theory of evolution. Okay, it was it was the theory of evolution that led to, uh, or or the processes of evolution. Sorry, that uh, natural selection in particular, that led to uh, the ability of you know foxes to run fast and smell the prey and eagles to see you know their prey with their incredible eyesight and. Uh, deer to be able to run at a moment's notice and escape predation and everything that plants do and the colors of flowers and on and on and on. It's all evolution. So you don't need a designer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I agree in many cases that is probably right. And so that's why I think so many biologists are atheists. They, they feel they don't need God. 
to explain anything. And I think that's the wrong approach. And I think this scientifically, because we don't need God to explain everything. God explains everything, okay, the existence of everything. But you don't need God to explain why there's thunder or lightning, okay? We're past that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I keep hearing atheists say, well, we used to think, you know, thunder was God's, and now we know there are no gods, and thunder is a disturbance in the atmosphere. Yeah, sure. We know what thunder is. We know what everything is. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean we don't need God. God created everything, including the weather <laughs> that causes thunder, right? Yeah. Including life, which includes the theory of evolution. I see evolution as one of God's tools, like gravity, like uh, the strong force, which holds you know the the, the neutrons and the protons together. All of these things, which, well, these are natural forces. Sure, they're natural forces created by God. Where did they come from? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they, nobody knows <laughs> how the strong force arrived. You know, what? Yeah, these higher. Oh. So I, I, I dispute that. And in biology, it, it, you know, you asked the question about biology. And there, you know, I was learning about some of the details, like protein synthesis, which I still, I, I keep trying to talk about it. And it, it, it's technical. And in my book, I, I have an appendix for those who are interested that go into some detail of it. And it's an incredibly simplified <laughs> version. But even then, and, and occasionally I'll give a talk where I'll show with slides how this stuff works. And the reaction of everyone is always the same. Oh my God. And I, I say exactly. <laughs> That's the correct reaction. Because yeah, you can you can come up with evolution for a lot of things, but it doesn't explain how all that stuff came about. Because that had to be there in the very first cell before evolution could start. And furthermore, the other thing that I don't credit evolution with is us. I mean, evolution and natural selection has nothing to do with the fact that you and I are speaking to each other and we're not right in the same room. Hmm. That's technology. That's human technology. And where, where did we get this idea of human technology? This, this, this is not something that's biological. This is our mental, cognitive brain activity. And it's not just brain activity. It comes from this creativity impulse that we have. It comes from our consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. Where does that come from? Is that a survival trait? Absolutely not. If If you have a group of people with consciousness like we have, and you have another group that are more like animals and with very limited consciousness, guess who's gonna do better? Not us. Exactly. The ones who think the only thing I need to do is hunt, feed, and mate. I don't need nothing. I don't need to think about anything else. And you know, on the other hand, the early humans were thinking about, gee, is it really right that I should kill that animal? You know, he hasn't done. I mean, you know, people are the same. We're the same now as we were then, in the way we think. And 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 why do they start thinking about God or gods or whatever? What is all this? Why do they paint pictures on wall cave walls? What's the purpose of that? That doesn't help you survive. 
That's a that's a waste of resources. Evolution cannot explain humanity. It cannot explain the evolution of or the reality, the development of human beings as we are. Because there's no natural selection involved there. This is something else. And it, it's not just that we're smart. It's nice to be smart. But we're not just smarter. We we <laughs> Being smart doesn't explain Kandinsky's painting. Okay, that's a creativity that comes from his soul. And that soul comes from God. And so when Genesis said, says that God breathed life into the into Adam, I believe that's exactly what happened. That life was was human life. Awesome. I actually got a, a one of the audience members in the question, Kevin, kind of asks about this. It's sort of an interesting one related to what you were saying, right? So he wants me to know: Do you think that biology is teleological? Right. Uh, you know. Yeah, I I get it. Uh, that is an amazing question. So thank you, Kevin, because <laughs> this is sort of this issue is sort of at the center of what I'm now have been working on and continue to work on. I've written a couple of papers about it, uh, uh, published in proceed uh, in uh, perspectives in in science and Christian faith, which is the journal of the American Scientific Affiliation, and. You see what happened. I'm going to give a. I'm going to give a slightly. It's such an important question that I'm going to give a, a little bit longer answer than I might to others. Um, biology used to be considered part of metaphysics, not a science, because nobody could understand life. It was impossible. They didn't know how to start thinking about it. They didn't know how to do any experiments. And slowly people began finding methods where they could, you know, look at living tissue, look at living cells. And it slowly, and Darwin helped, slowly it became a science, but it was always questionable. Is biology really a real science? Has no math, doesn't have any mathematical laws. So biologists became very defensive about that. And they decided they would rule out anything that smacks of metaphysics, it's not strictly scientific, anything that's not, and purpose is, and teleology was among those things that were thrown out. Uh, it's, it, I think that that was a disaster. And even, even Daniel Dennett, the very famous atheist has said, biology is full of purpose and it's full of design. <laughs> He thinks that the design is all evolution, but he, he also says, is, how can you say biology is not teleological? Why does, why does that fox start chasing the, the, the squirrel? For no purpose? Well, he wants to eat. <laughs> Every biological organism, including single cells, including bacteria, have the purpose of surviving. That's why they do stuff. They not only have teleology, they have agency. They can do stuff. They're able to act. You know, um, volcanoes are not able to act. They erupt, but not because somebody in a volcano said, let's erupt. I mean, right? <laughs> but that was not a willful decision made to do something based on a purpose, and they have no action. A volcano is simply the result of physical 
geological forces. The same is true for a storm. The same is true for a planet, a star. Nothing in the natural world outside of life has any teleology. So that part is correct. If you're a chemist or a physicist, you don't think about teleology. If you're a biologist, you have to. You have to. And we're not doing it. And that's why we're not understanding the origin of life and many other things in biology. Because I believe we are missing a fifth force. The four forces of physics and chemistry are not enough to explain life. We need them, but they're not enough. And I think we're going to need to bring teleology and agency back into the science of biology. And by the way, I'm not the only one saying this. There are non-Christian, very famous biologists saying the same thing. The one who I always mention is Dennis Noble, a physiologist in Great Britain. And he's been talking about this. It's, it's, a, it's a disaster that we have lost the concept of purpose in trying to understand, you know, the basic ideas of bio, biology. I mean, we, we use the language all the time. When we talk about enzymes, we talk about functional groups. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have, we say things like, well, the purpose of this enzyme is to convert this to that. The purpose? <laughs> That's, okay. <laughs> you already said it. I mean, you go, I, go, I went through one of my textbooks and uh, I found that kind of language all over the place. And yet we deny it. And that's got to change. So thanks for that question. Awesome. Awesome. All right, cool. Well, I want to turn it to you because obviously it's not only these incredible findings within biology and, you know, stuff like that. I I find that atheists, evolution can account for a lot, but it can't fully explain everything. Exactly. Um, Obviously you're a biochemist and that does apply to this other field, the origin of life, where the mechanisms proposed are, are not as adequate and that sort of thing. So what was it in that field in biochemistry and the origin of life that was compelling for you to convince you about God? Um, well, I think it, I think it largely was the origin of life. I, I had a, and also what I said about people, because even as an atheist, I was, I've always been a very strong humanist. I mean, I think people are really exceptional. Mm-hmm. It's just the evidence. <laughs> I mean, I just, I mean, I, I, don't, I have never met a person who I thought was not exceptional. And I, I'm a unabashed speciesist, okay? I know there are people who believe in animal rights, and I do agree with animal rights, but I think that human beings are the best species. And you don't and think there's aliens or anything, right? Or Sorry, say again? Like, what about like intelligent aliens or something like that? Well, intelligent aliens are interesting. Uh, they may exist somewhere, but we'll never know that unless they're in our galaxy and fairly close. And I have a lot to say about the issue of aliens, and most of it is scientific, not religious. I know many Christians and Christian scientists, uh, including astronomers and astrobiologists, who believe that because of the number of Earth-like planets that might exist out there, there probably is other intelligent life. I don't, and I don't for scientific reasons. I think the requirements, uh, Hugh Ross has a great book on this called Improbable Planet. Um, the, the conditions needed for life to exist are incredibly rare. And the need that, and even added on to that, for large life, 
like animals to exist, you have to add a whole new list of things. So in my view, um, I don't, and, and, and even if there is a planet somewhere with intelligent conscious life, it's going to be so far away. You know, we're not going to, yeah. you know, unless you, science fiction is great because you can go faster than the speed of light. You can do all kinds of things and you can, you know, have communication. So I like science fiction, but it's not real <laughs> by definition. And, um, I don't, I'm not, I don't think there's anything in the universe above us except God. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, go, I kind of distracted you from, yeah. you were giving the evidence related to the origin of life. Right. So, so what happened, so I, so I always had the sense that evolution was not the complete story. Okay. Because of people and because of the origin. Now, why, why the origin? And I always, I always, once I learned the details of biochemistry, I realized that when people talk about evolution, they talk about variation, right, in the genes mm -hmm. and natural selection. So that if you have a gene that codes for a protein that makes, let's say, your vision better, say you're a bird, you're going to do well. You'll be selected for natural selection will select you because you will see more mice and you will be able to eat them and you will have a great life. Yeah. Um, but that's not evolution. That's only the beginning because what evolution requires is that that new trait that you have in your genes, your genotype has to be passed to your offspring. If it isn't, in other words, if your kids don't inherit that good eyesight, they're going to be like everybody else. They may tell stories about their incredible dad who, you know, was able to see everything, but nobody cares. Also, I don't think birds talk that well, but anyway. <laughs> Some of them are okay, but yeah, they can say a word or two. So the other part that Darwin knew, by the way, uh, but we tend to forget, is inheritance. you got to have very accurate inheritance. Why accurate? Well, let's say uh, the, the degree of uh, inheritance is not that accurate. What's going to happen is that gene allele, that allele, that form of the gene that gave you the better eyesight, it may not get passed down. Okay? It, you, it, it, there could be a mistake. Mm -hmm. And if you're not passing down through inheritance, all of those genetic changes that made you better, and this applies to single cells as well, applies to all of life, well, then there's no evolution. You can't have evolution. So you have to have a very accurate, it's not just you have to replicate, you have to replicate with accuracy to get evolution going. So I was curious, how accurate does it have to be? I had no idea. Once I retired, I was able to explore this theoretically using uh, some statistical models, and I found out how accurate it has to be. Now, we know that the accuracy of replication of phenotype is extremely good. It's 99.9999% hmm. in modern life, all of modern life. And that's a function of the accuracy of DNA replication within a cell and the accuracy of the DNA converting the information into the proteins, which is called translation or protein synthesis. 
And that's a little less accurate than DNA replication, but the two together is 99.9999999%. If you're less than that, and we're talking a very tiny amount of errors, uh, you get mutations. And some mutations are fine, but if you get too too many mutations, you can no longer have evolution working. And if you get more than that, you die. um, The vast majority of mutations are lethal. They're not positive. So I was able to do this, So I, but I wasn't sure what would happen at the origin of life. How accurate does it have to be when the first cells were around? And it turns out it has to be pretty accurate. And what that means is you can't get that accuracy by evolution because evolution needs the accuracy to exist. And I published that in a peer-reviewed mainstream journal about two years ago. Awesome. What was what was the name of the paper there? Just uh, uh, the journal was Acta Biotheoretica, and the name I'm going to have to look up. Um, okay, just send, I, send it to my email. I'll, I'll put it in the blog. Yeah, it's it's not hard to find, um, and I can I can send you that link as well. Um, oh, I think it's something like um, yeah, it's something like. Uh, Replication fidelity and survival probability at the origin of life, something like that. Gotcha. Cool. So the replication fidelity is the accuracy of replication, and the pro and the survival probability is how well the cells survive. So those are two parameters that are that have to function uh, in order to get life and evolution going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're kind. Of, it's so this is so this is great because you're kind of my my next question for you was kind of okay, great. You've kind of outlined what some of the things are in the field of biology and biochemistry that are convincing to you, mm-hmm. but I wanted to kind of okay, by what criteria do we evaluate this? And you, you're kind of hinting at these these level these different criteria that you use. Um, I'm interested. Do, do you want to just kind of lay out exactly what the how do we identify if something is designed, do you appeal to mm-hmm. things like irreducible complexity or right. specified complexity? How do we identify it? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And I would say um, that I, I, I think there are two approaches to that question. Mm-hmm. And they don't, they could be taken, people can take one or the other or both. I take both. But the two approaches are one is purely scientific. And that is the approach I'm trying to take. Uh, But that's limited because it doesn't give great answers. It mostly shows where there are problems. So in other words, I, I found out in my own work, I found out this problem of requiring, you know, high level of replication fidelity very early but I don't know how that happened. The problem with intelligent design is they kind of have the same approach. They also look for things that cannot be explained easily by what we know. Uh, and I think, I think that's fine as long as you stop there because I don't believe in God of the gaps. So I wouldn't say that my work or the ID people's work, which, which I respect, mm-hmm. uh, is proof of God because that's a God of the gaps. Okay. So uh, 
what we need to do, and I, I prefer the word, I prefer the term divine design to intelligent design, because I think what we see in biology is way beyond intelligent. It's kind of an insult to call it intelligent design. It's, it's divine, and it's hard to describe scientifically. So I think we need to I think we need to work harder in biology and, and use some of these new tools like teleology and agency and maybe things that no one has ever thought of yet. I don't know. There has to be some scientific principles in biology that we're not seeing. And and, and that would I, I don't know, think I'm gonna be able to do that, but somebody, you know, hopefully will. The other approach is the theological one, which is uh, not a matter of science. Um, I think science and and religion tell the same truth, but in very different ways. Mm-hmm. And the book I'm working on now, which is actually finished, it's in the it's in press in, in, at the publisher, come out in about a year, is um, is called Science and Faith in Harmony, mm-hmm. because. I believe that science and faith do not tell the same story. They don't sing the same melody. But when you sing them both, the harmony is beautiful. Gotcha. And so the theological way of looking at this is to say God created everything. God is there. God is real. And the gift of science is, and this is what all the original scientists believe, by the way, Mm-hmm. The whole purpose of science is to understand God's creation. Yeah. And it, we've been very good at it. We've been very successful at it. The idea of taking God out of the picture was crazy, but that's what happened at the turn of the 20th century. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Right. Uh, go ahead. What, no, 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 go ahead. Oh, no, no problem. Uh, I was just going to ask you about what you're saying with the harmony, but just before I do, uh, one of the fans. You got the name of the article. There so, it is. There you are. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, the continuity principle. Right, right. Because what I actually found was that um, that the evolution of replication fidelity violates the continuity principle. And the continuity principle was started by Darwin, uh, which is that evolution should occur by very small continuous steps. That's been proven false. And Darwin said if it was false, it would destroy his theory. But that's not true. It doesn't destroy the theory, but it changes it. Because there have been many examples known of evolutionary changes that were not at all continuous. You know, like uh, the beginning of eukaryotes and many other things. Okay. Cellular organisms. So, um, So replication fidelity is another thing that is violates the continuity principle. Okay. okay. It, it's it's not a small continuous evolutionary change. It's a big jump. There's leaps. Okay. Uh, thanks to the person who found it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Harry, for that. Um, all right. Cool. I just want to pitch very quickly my idea because I I've used intelligent design. I I kind of like uh, Dembski's specified complexity, right? Yeah. So it's an improbable event. Uh, as a saturated probability and then you also have this specification aspect so so that gets you intelligent design that's the science part mm-hmm. in my opinion and then yeah. i, I kind of harmonize that with philosophical reasoning okay we can identify who that agent is mm-hmm. given the, the type of specification involved is it a religious 
authenticating context. Well, then it's, if so, then it's rational to infer God is designing this event for mm -hmm. the purpose of authenticating a religion and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah but I think that's legitimate. I mean, I, I'm clearly not a theologian or, or know too much about theology or, or philosophy, but I do like, you know, hearing about it and learning about it. And, and I think that's, that's a valid thing to do. Um, I don't think we, on the other hand, I don't think we should give up on scientific attempts to probe the nature of biology because I, I really do scientifically think that we're, you know, we're missing something important, even if we're not a theist. And, yeah. um, and I do also believe, and this is a matter of faith, I guess, that when, if and when we do make progress, we do find, say, a fifth law of, of nature, which relates to biology and explains the origin of life. But whatever it is that we find is going to point to God as well, because we already see that in physics. I mean, there's so much of physics that just begs for a creator. Yeah. The origin of the universe. I mean, right? I mean, when, when I was a kid, to tell you how old I am, uh, I learned that the uh, that the universe was steady state. Oh, now, wow. scientists knew that wasn't true, but it hadn't filtered down to the public school yet. So I thought, okay, the universe has always been here. Great. No, yeah. not right. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm going to, I actually have a question later on about like arguments outside of biology. So yeah, I'd be interested to get your, your take with the old uh, Hoyle, Fred Hoyle's uh, steady state model and stuff. Right. All right. Well, one question you've actually already hinted at this, though, sticking with biology for the moment. Um, it's obvious the atheist response is, look, all of these things you're talking about. Come on. This is just pure God and God of the gaps. Look, maybe we don't have a, an explanation for it, but precedent, past precedent. I mean, you you theists, you taught like the fixity of the species. Right. Polar bears are designed for that. Right, right. So like, how would you respond to atheists that just say, Look, we have to assume there is maybe we don't know it yet, and it, it we can't even conceive of what it is, but we can't uh, infer design. We have to assume there's some unknown natural mechanism, otherwise we're committing this god of the gaps. Like, okay. you, yeah. yeah. Well, as you might imagine, I have been <laughs> I have been asked that more than once. <laughs> yeah. So, um. My answer is, do you think it's possible that in the future, some of the science that we don't know yet, which I agree, we don't know everything yet, clearly this moment in time is not the time when we know <laughs> everything is true. Do you think it's possible that at some point during this future discovery about science that we will find evidence for God. And if they say no, how do you know? Right. How do you know we're not going to find evidence for God? I mean, you, you're telling me that we're going to find evidence for the origin of life, for why, you know, for how the, what came before the, the big bang for all these mysteries, what is dark matter, whatever. Future science will come up with an answer. Okay, great. How do you know that answer won't be God? Exactly. And yeah. and so, see, I, I'm in a weird position because 
a lot of people call me an apologist, but I don't think of myself as an apologist because I, I don't know how to prove the existence of God. I'm not sure I can convince somebody that God exists without the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, on the other hand, there are people who have heard and read what I've said and have come to God, they tell me, but I still think the Holy Spirit is involved. It ain't, it ain't me. <laughs> it, I don't, I'm not sure how many people can do that. I know some people can, and I've seen it, you know. There are amazing preachers who can just bring it to your knees. That ain't me either. <laughs> I, I, I can't yeah. do that. No, I, th I think that, yeah, the Bible's clear. Man. The Holy Spirit play, yeah. has to play a role. The right? whole has to play a role. Either, yeah. either obviously, as in my case, or, you know, not so clearly. But he, he, it's there. The Holy Spirit is there. Gotcha. One so, go ahead. If they don't, it, it, when I ask that question and they don't have an answer, because there is no answer. I mean, they, they don't know that any more than they don't know what they don't know now. <laughs> so you have to leave it up to you can believe that there will be a naturalistic answer. That's fine if you want to believe that, but that's a faith belief. Mm -hmm. Or you can believe that there is a, a theological or biblical answer. Let's take the origin of the universe. Okay, mm -hmm. where does that come from? Who first came up with the idea that they would that, that that there was a beginning? It wasn't it wasn't an astrophysicist. It was Genesis. Oh yeah, yeah. I was gonna, I was going to ask you uh, if in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, that that that's a theological statement, and we now know it's true, and we didn't used to. Yeah, there's precedent here. I mean, you know, we don't have to go much further. Talk about talk about fulfilled predictions, right? For yeah, for I mean, it, it, that was that turned out to be true. So, and you know, I can't be accused. I, 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 there are people. I think there may still be a few people who use God of the gaps, but that's almost an outworn phrase nowadays. I, I don't think it applies very often. Well, dealing with some atheists online, you'd be surprised. Oh, they use it. Oh, they use it. But <laughs> but I'm saying that it it, it it's wrong. It doesn't. Yeah. You know it. If you're pointing out that something is unknown, and then you say it may be that God is behind it, uh, or you, if you say that if something is unknown and you say that proves God, then yes, that's a, that's a fallacy of God of the gaps. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen anyone say that. No. Maybe a few people do, but I haven't seen it. I've never seen a scientist say that because we don't talk about proof anyway. That's another important issue that I'd like to bring up is that if anybody asks you to prove your God, what you should say is, no, I follow science and there's no proof in science ever. Gotcha. Proof is a mathematical and logical construct. There's nothing to do with empirical science. Uh, that's not how science works. We, nothing is proven. Gotcha. Everything that we thought was proven can be disproven. And that's happened over and over and over again. Yeah. So, that's Go ahead. No, no, I was say, so, you know, th this idea of prove your God, uh, you know, the question is ridiculous. And the answer is what I just said. But if somebody takes that bait and says, well, I can prove this God because um, we don't know how the origin of life began. That is a 
that's a fallacy. God of the gaps. That certainly doesn't prove God. Uh -huh. uh, nothing does in science. And um, and related to that is this idea of, of um, you know, unless you can convince me, I won't believe in, in God. You have to have strong evidence. I've had some very, some fairly famous atheists say this to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I've said to them, actually, I don't have to convince you. <laughs> I have to convince myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's been done. And part of it was through evidence from science, but most of it was proof from the Holy Spirit. And well, that is, that's where proof comes in. And that's my, that's me. That's that I have proven it to myself. So I am a believer and many, many people I know have either had an experience where it's been proven to them or the evidence has been so strong that they couldn't reject it. And that's why people come to Jesus. That's how they become Christians. Okay. All right. Well, one thing I really want to ask you about, because again, this is something, it doesn't matter whether we're dealing with lay atheists or, or scientists, uh, scholars and stuff like that, who are atheists, this problem of this assumption of naturalism, like science kind of depends on methodological naturalism. And yeah. this translates for them into this bias toward metaphysical naturalism. So I'm interested, like, this is one of the hugest obstacles. How did you get this paradigm shift? How did you overcome this, this bias in favor of metaphysical naturalism? Well, it, 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 uh, it actually wasn't that hard okay because the way when i started learning about quantum physics which includes things like uh imaginary numbers um you know there's an imaginary number at the first term of the schrodinger equation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, time bending time changing slowing down speeding up depending on how fast you go the observer effect you can't tell where an elect electron is until you measure it. Mm -hmm. or, or actually, the, that's wrong. <laughs> I said it wrong. The electron isn't anywhere until you measure it. <laughs> yeah, it actually doesn't exist in a place until you measure it. It's not just you finding it. It's that, no, it ain't there. Mm -hmm. um, the uncertainty principle. There are things we can never know. If you had said any of those things in 1880 to an educated scientist, they would say, no, 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 no. I, I, you're speaking supernatural. I, I, it's all nonsense. Hmm. That can't be real. As many of the physicists at the time of quantum theory and relativity said when they heard these things, they said, that can't be real. But they were convinced because the math worked and the experiments worked. And in fact, it was true. It was real. Mm -hmm. So the border between natural and supernatural keeps changing. The more we learn, the more that very restricted view of what's natural and what isn't moves this way, okay? It moves in the direction of the supernatural. Yeah. So I don't like this distinction because it changes all the time. Yeah. 
That's a great point. Yeah, because I, I remember when I was researching the cosmological argument, for example, like, you know, you see it towards the end of the 1800s, the physicists, they think we have all of science figured out. It's right. just working it out to decimal. Exactly. Point, right. Exactly. Along 1905 comes along and everything. Right. Yeah, exactly. So Go ahead with this one little problem, you know, is the speed of light. How can that be constant no matter which way you're going? That doesn't make sense. And they couldn't figure that out. Gotcha. But it's a little tiny problem, you know, not. <laughs> so so I, I think your answer here for, for atheists is like, you know, try to be self-aware. Look, you, you're constantly moving this artificial boundary between mm -hmm. natural and the supernatural world. Uh, maybe, ha maybe instead question whether there is this boundary at all kind of thing. There's yeah. just different yeah. types of I, Yeah, I think you said it very well. That's right. Awesome. All right, cool. Well, my next question, you've actually already been answering this quite a bit, but now it's a, I'll give you a chance to elaborate. Outside of your own field in biology and biochemistry, um, what are some of the, are, are there other arguments that you found to be convincing? Um, and obviously you've mentioned the origin of the universe and stuff, but what are, what are some of the other arguments, if any, that you found convincing on your end? Well, I have mentioned something. I, I just very quickly went through quantum theory and physics and other things in physics. And I, I'm not going to say that again, but uh, there are some other very interesting scientific developments in the, in the past decades, including the rise of chaos theory and mm -hmm. fractals and what I, often goes under the rubric of nonlinear dynamics. And this is all disturbing stuff for a, you know, philosophical naturalist. Uh, fractals suggest that we really can't measure the coastline of England or Maine. Can't be measured because you'll get a different number depending on the size of your ruler. So the world is not at all easily understood or measured or determined they, they, there's we can't predict the weather scientifically we can never predict the weather far in advance nor the stock market nor any complex system including human societies because when you reach a certain level of complexity you get a chaotic effect and chaos theory to me is fascinating mm -hmm. and I found that it can apply at times to gene regulatory networks. And that's another paper, which I'm not going to talk about. But um, when you look at reality, whether it's biological or social or whatever, the, these, these new ideas of chaos, complexity, theory, and, and um, fractal reality of, of almost everything, it, it gives a, a much deeper and broader dimension to reality than we think of, than we used to think of. Again, this is not proof of God, but to me, it's evidence of, of what I still call divine design because all of this stuff is leading to no answers, but to more questions. And in general, what I think is and I found this in my own work when I was doing research in molecular biology of carcinogenesis. 
for many decades, and I think it's true for every scientist, is whatever you're studying and you do experiments and you do observations and you get an answer, which is hard to do, but <laughs> occasionally you actually do get an answer and you write it up and you publish it, that answer will always, I don't know any exceptions to this, lead to many more questions. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Why is that? Why, why don't we ever get to the end? Why don't we ever say, ah, we have solved this field. No more discussion. It's done. We got it all. No, never happened. Uh -huh. That's that's so interesting because I, believe it or not, I, I was speaking this day and in the comments with a Christian, not even an atheist, but they were they were kind of saying that, yeah, like why they were kind of against that. God, we should have like this answer kind of thing. Yeah. But instead, every time we get this answer, no, this this leads to more and more questions. And I think that's yeah. that's great. This is why we'll yeah. never get bored in eternity. You know what I yeah. mean? And, and I think, by the way, that that's a sign to God. Why? Because of the Bible. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my church is reading the Bible end to end this year. It's the year of the Bible in my church. Awesome. And I'm reading the Bible. I'm reading parts of the Bible I've never read before. Oh, that's great. And I'm getting a few answers, but boy, am I getting questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I... God, God is not a simple person or not a simple entity. God is not easy. He didn't write an easy book. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We're, I mean, I mean you'd expect reality to be incredibly complicated. It comes from God. It's not a simple thing. Exactly. You got to learn that. Yeah, we're we're meant to wrestle with the scriptures. Israel, there you go. To wrestle. I mean, come on, guys. So, I agree. Great word. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Cool. So, um, yeah. So just kind of following up on that question, though. So I, I noticed I was paying very careful attention to how you answered that question. And I noticed, obviously, you're a scientist. So all of the arguments you mentioned are have kind of a scientific basis to them right. outside of science. So maybe an argument from mathematics itself uh, or philosophical arguments, Steve. I don't I don't I'm not good at either mathematical or philosophical arguments, but I'm very interested in I'm very interested in the arguments from uh, human creativity. Gotcha. Okay. And just the whole concept of genius. You know, the, the original word, meaning of the word genius was, they didn't say somebody was a genius. They said he had a genius. And that meant there was something from outside of the person who came in and, you know, got him to write that poem or paint that picture or make that discovery. And I think that's exactly right. I think, you know, we, the geniuses among us, and we're all geniuses to some extent, everybody has had a moment. I know, I know I've had a couple where, oh my God, that's it. Okay. That's, that's the next thing to do. Or, Wow, this this picture is coming out really good. I better keep going. You know, that's where does that come from? What is that? That's 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 the, that's the image of God in our souls. That's why we are made of the image of God. That is what. That's how we know it. Yeah. And where else does that come? It does not. Don't tell me that comes from evolution. I mean, you have to make up such a story <laughs> to say that that comes from evolution. You know, it's ridiculous. I mean. You can't do it. Yeah. You know, and, and, and and yes, of course, it applies to Beethoven. It applies to Kandinsky. It applies to Einstein. 
the real geniuses, but it applies to all of us because we've all done that. We've all had those moments. That's that. So that's in the first place. I had no idea. I didn't know that thing about the geniuses. So that's, that's actually very interesting um, that it's this idea of coming from outside because I fully agree with this. Look, uh, I think another way of saying it, some people, you know, genius is like us thinking God's thoughts after him. There you go. Discovery process it's not invention it's not like human invention type things right we're right. discovering it right awesome and 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 you know it's as i said to me that's an argument to the divine absolutely that's so that's an interesting one all right um okay so we've been kind of focusing all of our time on this nebulous notion of god in general but obviously, look, you're not just a general theist. You are specifically a Christian theist. Like right. myself. So I want to kind of turn to Christianity in particular. And yeah. I just want to find out, you know, what was it that kind of motivated you? You mentioned already some stuff about your dreams, but just kind of elaborate. What was it that got you to believe in Christianity in particular? And, you know, mention mention about your some of your experiences in detail, if you like. Yeah. Well, um, Okay. So uh, the person of Jesus Christ uh, is, when I began reading about him, I said I had cracked open the Gospels and I started reading and I was very, very impressed with everything that Jesus said and did. Uh, couldn't quite get to the belief, but it reminded me of the first dream I had, and I'm, I apologize to anyone in the audience who's either read my book or seen my other videos and they've heard about it, but I'll say it for those who haven't. Um, this dream happened a long time ago when I was still an atheist, and I had no idea what it meant. And I was I'm very much afraid of heights, and I was dreamt that I was holding on to a cliff, to the edge of a cliff about to fall down and i was absolutely terrified and i i was yelling help help and somebody said i heard a voice saying just let go and i i didn't know that made no sense because i would fall but i was losing my grip anyway and i heard the voice again say just let go and i said well okay and i let go and as soon as i did the world turned 90 degrees and i was no longer on a cliff i was lying on the ground and next to me was a man who had said just let go and i woke up and i had no idea what that was what that was about and the reason i'm telling you the dream is because later when i began thinking about jesus it dawned on me what if that was jesus christ who had said that to me and if he did what did he mean by just let go let go of what not the cliff. And I realized that what he meant was let go of everything that's keeping you from taking that last step, that leap to believe in me. And I couldn't do it. <laughs> I knew that's what the dream meant, but I, 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 I can't believe in this. This goes against everything I, I think and know and believe, etc. But I knew that's what the dream meant. And then when the Holy Spirit came to me uh, in, again, this is this is not in the video that I did with Cameron, but it's it's in my book in detail. Uh, 
I was thinking about God. I was thinking about Jesus in particular. And I had, I had, you know, been to a church and I had read some of the gospels. And if I knew if I was ever going to become religious, it would be Christian because I really liked this idea of Christianity. And uh, what happened was I was driving alone a long trip and I had the radio on. I was listening to a Christian preacher on the radio and uh, I turned it off and I started thinking about what it would be like to preach, although, you know, because I'm a teacher. So, you know, teaching is a little like preaching. <laughs> Absolutely. <yeah. laughs> I was a professor. So I thought, what would I preach about? And I, and I, I couldn't think of a good topic. And then I suddenly I just started preaching to myself. Uh, with a you know an imagined audience listening and and what i was preaching was about the fact and i told this to the crowd that i know jesus loves each of you because he loves even me that came from nowhere that came from the holy spirit yeah didn't come from my brain now i pulled the car over burst into tears and I said out loud, I believe. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Like how, when God just speaks to you out of nowhere, you know, yeah. in yeah. our moments when we need him and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that was it. So, um, yeah. So, so the dream and the dreams, they were, you and and this experience and some other experiences of the church that brought me there but this last one was the one that erased all doubt gotcha uh, i've only grown in faith since then and and um you know i i i i'm very sorry when i read about friends or online friends or whatever who have given up on on the faith, something in church was very disturbing, something a pastor said or did, or I don't know, some some attitude of the church bothered them and they have found their, found their true uh, following in atheism. Mm -hmm. so that happens, I, I'm upset. It's the reverse path that I took. And the difference, though, I believe, is that I will never go back, and I don't know anybody who started as an atheist who became a Christian who, who has ever gone back. Maybe there are a few, but I don't know them. Uh, but I think that there are many stories I've heard of, people I've known of, who lost their faith and got it back. I'm I'm one of them, by the way. So, yeah, okay. yeah it's, it's it's not uncommon. So I'm hopeful. I I pray for those people. Some are good friends who I pray for constantly. Uh, I mean, daily, that they will return uh, to the truth. Yeah, and um, we'll see. Awesome. One thing. Um... I want to ask you about your dreams. So I, I know uh, dreams, some people like Nabil Qureshi, a, a famous Christian apologist. He also came, he was I, a Muslim. I know who he was. Yeah. 
Okay, awesome. So you know his story then. I know. Uh, Jesus. I, know I know David Wood. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. I, I followed him for a long time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. David Wood's awesome. So, um, yeah, you know, they, it was through dreams and stuff with them that converted Nabil, helped to convert Nabil as well. There. Yeah. So, right. One thing um, I'm kind of curious about, do you think with your dreams there is this, um, like there's the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. You've convinced yourself, I think, is the way you phrased it earlier in the show. Um, did you have any dream experiences or, or something that was accompanied by externally veridical elements and stuff? Like sometimes with NDEs and stuff like that, there are veridical bits that people, you know, you can present to external people. Did, yeah. did you have anything like that or was it? No, I didn't. I didn't. Okay. Okay, cool. All right. No problem. Um, so the last, last question here on my list is kind of turning to outside of the dreams and everything and the inner witness, the Holy Spirit. Um, I wanted to know, are you familiar with arguments from Christian apologetics? So obviously my, my friend Gary Habermas, had, he's famous for his minimal facts. Argument. Oh, he, he's great. <laughs> One of my heroes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he does an amazing job. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So that, you know, there's that historical arguments or yeah. I'm sort of famous for arguing from the Shroud of Turin. I don't know if you know anything. Right, right, that. right. That's right. I remember that. Yes. There, I'm the shroud guy. So, but yeah, yeah. like, did, did any do any of these play a role in your own conversion, or what's your take on these types? I of don't things? think so. I don't think I actually ever heard of Christian apologetics before I came to faith. Um, I now, of course, have many friends in that community, and uh, I think they do great work. Um, you know. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to list all the names. Some of them, I'm sure you know them all. Mm -hmm. um, and I and I love to listen to them and 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 uh, you know listen to their arguments and their and their um, their points. Uh, the problem is I'm not very good at philosophy. <laughs> okay. Like many scientists, I, I it kind of goes over my head. Um, as does a lot of theology uh, still. I mean, I'm trying, but it, it's, you know, I'm learning it's a, slowly. <laughs> it's a process, yeah. yeah. It's a process, right. And and I'm not that young anymore, to say the <laughs> least. So, you know, I kind of have to focus on what I do know and what I can deal with. However, people have called me an apologist because I do give evidence for the existence of God. You know, I, I just don't call it proof. <laughs> and, I, and I don't use logical uh methods because i i'm not able to i don't know enough about logic to do it mm -hmm. although in some cases that's not true but anyway uh so i love to talk with folks like that you know josh josh rasmussen and mm -hmm. cameron of course and and so many of the people and michael jones now i'm naming everybody you know we and and uh you know these, these are great people i mean I, I i've met them i i've talked to them and and you know they're they're wonderful I mean, they're. Yeah. I think Liz, uh, Liz, Liz Jackson Liz. was at that. Say, she yeah. was my professor in epistemology, but wow. she was at the same, same yeah. conference with you there. So yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, she's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, Braxton. I can go on and on. Braxton Hunter and oh, they, I love listening to them. I mean, they, they, they stir me. You know, they stir my soul. Um, well, let, and, let me, uh, you know, oh, okay. no, no, that's it. That's it. Um, okay, well, obviously you are you are scientifically minded, so right. that kind of relates to the Shroud of Turin. Then, I, like, if you don't, and feel free to say 
like you don't know anything about it or you're not convinced by it. But what what is your take in general on the scientific evidence from the Shroud of Turan? Have you looked into that at all? Or? Well, I a little bit. I, I, I used to actually, I, I spent 10 years living in Milan, Italy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Torino is not that far. And I, I went to the museum. Now, the crazy thing is I don't remember if I actually saw the Shroud or if it was not there at the time. I, I, I just don't remember, but I certainly am familiar with it and I'm aware of it. And I find it amazing and fascinating. And I don't have a scientific opinion because, as you said, this is not anything that I'm, you know, st- I have studied or, or uh, familiar with. But I, I do find it a phenomenon that cannot be denied. <laughs> it's right there for anyone to see. Yeah. And um, I know there have been claims that it's what you you I'm, you're the one who knows this but I've, there have been claims that it's more recent in origin and yeah. uh i think there's been controversy about that but i i'm not really i can't say much about it other than that but i i do find it to be a something that cannot be dismissed and it's something that needs an explanation all right awesome all right well I do see I've uh, saved about four questions from the audience, but before we get to that, I want to turn it to you as the guest and just ask you an open-ended question. Is there anything that I've missed and haven't asked you about that you think is really important for you to talk about or share with the audience? Yeah. There's only one thing which I usually close with all the time because it's so important. And that is, and it's mostly addressed to young folks or students, but everybody should know this. And that is, we, we are living in a time with, that, where lies are everywhere. There's so many lies of so many different kinds that just fill the air, fill the, 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 you know, the internet and, and everything online. And, and people believe things as soon as they hear them once without checking. And, and that's a real problem. But the lie that I find most pernicious and that I've devoted my life to fighting, to, to being against, to, to trying to persuade people it is a lie, is that science and faith are in conflict and you have to choose between one or the other. And when I hear either a preacher, a minister, or a professor tell a student, uh, if you're a Christian, you can't go into science. If you want to go into science, you can't be a Christian. That is a lie from Satan. I will go that far which I don't usually use Satan, but in this case, it is a, an absolute nonsense from the lips of the evil one to convince people of something that is not true. And uh, that's, that's my main message. Uh, science and faith are in harmony. They're not, they're not opposed. I fully agree with you. Kind of thing. It's not necessarily exactly the same, but it's almost the same. At my church, uh, so I tried to start up an apologetics class, right? So looking at evidence and that right. sort of thing, but uh, didn't go. It got canceled because a lot of the people were offended and said, "Oh, you shouldn't be looking for evidence and stuff like that." It, apparently, it's against some cultures and stuff. So, hmm. yeah, I, th- I think we gotta look. We're we're supposed to be of the culture of God's kingdom, not some earthly man-made cultures. Right. So, Right. I got it. Yeah, I've heard that, too. I mean, I, I respect I respect anyone who who is a Christian, frankly, and, and their science. They may have they may believe in creation science, which I don't agree with. Uh, I don't care. 
uh, we're still brothers. I have many very good friends who are who are uh, um, young Earth creationists. Mm -hmm. Some of them are scientists. A couple of biochemists. And uh, great, fine. I, I don't agree, but so what? The real truth is Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again, and is our salvation. That's the truth we need. And from there, all else flows, and the rest is details. Exactly. But this idea that that science is opposed to that truth is just nonsense. And um, it does. It, it can come from a, an atheist professor as well as from a preacher, and in fact, usually more often from that. And just you don't have to argue with them. You still want to pass the course, <laughs> but don't believe them. They're wrong. It's not true. Exactly. And that's right. how, that's my last you know word on that. Awesome. All right, cool. Well, turning to some audience questions. So here's one from Harry Stark. And he's saying uh, organ design is controversial in biology at the moment. And information in DNA is mainstream in biology already. Uh, so the atheist Francis Crick proposed the info and accepted sentient being. Any, th any thoughts? Uh, I don't know if you... Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's all true. Um, I mean, the implied question there is where did this information come from, right? I mean, is is that a is that a um, you know a sign or a marker of of divine design? And I think yes, it is. Uh, just as I was talking about replication, uh, uh, replication fidelity, but the the source of information. The source of the genetic code, the origin of the genetic code, this is actually an interesting story, is unknown. And, and here's the crazy thing. I have recently been involved <laughs> in a few debates and a number of online arguments about whether or not the genetic code is really a code. Hmm. I've... An atheist meme has developed, which has spread throughout atheism, that it's not a real code. It's it's a metaphor for a code. It's just chemicals. I see the most incredible nonsense being posted by people who have never taken a course in molecular biology. And the good news is that um, a, uh, a YouTuber who's an atheist, who... You, who who always talks about science, whose name just went out of my head for a second. Maybe it'll come back to me. Uh, his first name is John. Anyway, he did an interview with uh, Francis Col uh, with sorry, with uh, Richard Dawkins. Okay, okay. And asked him whether the genetic code was a real code. And Richard Dawkins said, are you crazy? Of course. <laughs> how, yeah. how can anybody deny that the genetic code is a code? I mean, it has, you know, it has the symbols, the, the sequence of the bases. They mean something. That meaning is translated in the ribosome from a nucleotide sequence into an amino acid sequence to make a protein. Where, where is that not a code? <laughs> oh, my God. I was going to say, I, I myself heard of this recently, but I realized uh, I heard it from you when I was preparing and watching the video. Ah, okay. where I heard this. So, so what that tells me, is that atheism, and this may be a very controversial statement, I know it will be in some circles, atheism is dying. Certainly the new atheism is dying. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they're now at the point of denying science. 
I mean, any textbook, I've got a bunch of them behind me. Any textbook on molecular biology will talk about the genetic code as a code and, and explain why. And what are these people coming up with? They're coming up with anti-science, exactly what they accuse creationists of doing, denying modern science. And they're doing it. So what does that tell you? That tells you they're in trouble, deep trouble. Absolutely. All right, cool. So the next question, this one's kind of following up. It's again from Kevin. So you answered him earlier in the show. Um, and he was just wondering, you, you mentioned that there's four laws aren't enough. You need this fifth, fifth law. Um, so he's asking, why is it not enough to uh, the heart pumps rather than the heart has a telios of two pump? It has the purpose of pumping. Okay. So why? Okay, so the you could say the heart pumps. If you ask why the heart pumps, the answer is well, you the answer is not why. The answer is, you know, what what purpose does this, does the heart serve to pump? And that you could call that a telos. And it obviously has a purpose. It's to make sure the blood gets around and provides the, all the cells with oxygen and takes away the carbon dioxide. Everything, everything within a body has a purpose, <laughs> okay? Name something that does not have a purpose. The kidneys have a purpose. And they, uh, we, now many people say, no, what you're talking about is function. There's a function of the kidney. Hmm. The function of the kidney is to purify, uh, you know, the, the, well, to maintain a water balance. Okay, that's its function. I, I'm not sure that function and purpose are, are absolutely uh, different from each other. I mean, why, you know, if, if the function of an enzyme is to catalyze a particular reaction, well, that's the purpose of the enzyme. Now, the reason that they may be different is because telos in the Aristotelian uh, uh, original meaning had the purpose of a conscious being. Okay, that was the, the final cause. So, so we humans act with a purpose. I'm, let's say my purpose of being on this show is to sell my book, okay, which it isn't really, but let's, a lot of people say that that's why I do interviews. Okay, good. Okay, well, we all have purposes, okay? Dale has the purpose of, I don't know, maybe growing his channel, we, or, or maybe it's to serve God. Maybe both of our purposes are really to serve God in any way we can. Whatever it is, we all have purposes. And you know what? We are human beings. Yes, we're special and we're divinely created, I believe. But we're also natural living organisms. So what's true for us is true for all the other things that live. And yeah, the heart pumps for a reason. There's nothing that happens in biology that isn't for a reason. There's no volcano that explodes for a reason. I mean, there's something that causes it to explode, but it doesn't have a reason to do it, okay? The storm has no reason to, you know, move in a particular direction. It's being pushed by forces. Everything we and foxes and squirrels and deer and plants and trees do, do for a reason. That's my view. One thing um, I might, if you don't mind me just kind of following up, maybe sure. to deal man, something maybe Kevin is maybe trying to hint at, but okay. So Telios, it almost kind of um, 
inherent within that there's when you have a reason right for the heart for example the reason for it pumping is to get blood flowing and stuff like that but it almost presupposes some kind of intelligence is necessary to yeah that that's that the word telos suggests that because that's how aristotle used it now there's another word which is teleonomy which I don't remember who coined it, but Ernst Meyer uses it a lot. He talks about the teleonomy as a uh, as a purpose that is not from a mind, mm -hmm. but from a program. Okay. And that works in biology because uh, the program is the genotype. Okay, so the genotype codes for all of these functions and all of these teleonomic purposes and we could use that word instead. And that takes away this idea that, you know, there's a little guy inside saying, pump that blood, you know, I want you to pump. No, okay, so we can get rid of telos and, and make it teleonomy. It's still purpose. Gotcha. All right, cool. I'd never heard that word before. So that was awesome. So, all right, um, here's a uh, last question. Uh, this one's kind of just a fun one, but it's... Um, how does uh, how does it feel that you've reached 1.6 million views on your interview with um, on capturing Christianity there? Yeah, well, I can't believe it, and I don't understand it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what they what people see, and I, I the only thing I can explain it is, by is that Cameron is a real. You know, he was originally a photographer. I don't know if this is well yeah. known, but he's yeah. an amazing. Uh, you know, he's had a, a beautiful setup. It, he had two cameras. I mean, it's not, it wasn't the, the standard, you know, kind of YouTube thing. And, and so it's technically very nice. I, there were a few things there where I, I think I, I said some, some useful things, but I don't understand it. But I will say that the question of how I feel doesn't have so much to do with the number of views that it has. Because, I you know, there's this crazy positive reinforcement that that works on online right so the more you get the more you get right so yeah yeah so the numbers what really gets me emotional <laughs> is some of the comments i've seen um, on that now there are a lot of atheist comments that are pretty awful but there are some comments where people say thank you for strengthening my faith uh you've brought me back to jesus I mean, that just overwhelms me. I, I, I just can't believe God has been so good to allow me to see that kind of thing. Because there's, there's nothing better than that. Yeah. That's so right. that's how it feels. Yeah, no, I, I'd concur, like in my own experience as well, like when you get those comments and stuff like that about actually helping people. Like, I, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm famous. I, I don't care about numbers and stuff like that really at, at all. I, I've never asked anyone to subscribe or like if mm -hmm. you like it and want to hear it, subscribe. Yeah. You'll be notified. Yeah. And stuff That's like right. That. Because our, your motivation, my motivation, Cameron's motivation. Yeah. We like to get more, you know, subscribers, more views, but our motivation is to serve the word is exactly. to serve the Lord and, and, and spread the word. And, and the only thing I I'm ambitious for now is that, at some point, hopefully not too soon, but at some point, I will hear those words, well done. Good and faithful servant. My yeah. good and faithful servant. And if I hear those words, that's it. That's all I want. Awesome. 
Yep. Well said. So, all right, cool. Well, I, I think that's, uh, that says it, uh, K KR saying that he, uh, he or she likes our thoughts on this front. So awesome. Um, but yeah, I think that covers it in, in terms of the interview. I, I think we had a good, a good show and, and covered all the bases as to where you're coming from and your, why you've journeyed from atheism to Christianity there. So, all right. Well, it's been great. I mean, wonderful questions and, uh, it's been really great for me. I, I love doing it. So awesome. Yeah. yeah you're you're welcome back any anytime for any topic you want. All right. I can do different formats. But yeah, so just so the audience, tomorrow I have another show with Ancient Near Eastern. He's a biblical scholar, Louis Dizon. And uh, he's going to be talking about Judaism and answering Jewish objections to our faith. Uh, so kind of more of a biblical-based uh, uh, show there. So look forward to that and have a great week, everybody. All right. Take care. All right, so...